Judges chapter 19 tells just an awful story. It's a story of a Levite, and he takes a concubine. She was very young, as they were in that period. And uh, after a few months, she decides that she wants to go back to dad, and so she runs off, and she goes back to home. And the Levite kind of sits around, waits on her to come to her senses for a few months, and then he goes after her. And uh, he gets to the house and sits around with her father for three or four days, and then takes her concubine, his concubine away from her and uh, starts going back home. And it's, it's more than a one-day trip, and they get to a, a city in the area of Benjamin, and, and he stay, decides to stay there for the night. And nobody shows him any hospitality. No one takes him in. No one offers to feed him. And so he just decides he's going to camp right in the middle of the town square. And an older man sees what he's doing and says, what are you doing here? And he said, well, nobody would take us in. He goes, well, I'll take you in. Come on, come with me. You don't want to spend the night out here. So he takes him in, but the, uh, the, the bad men of the town, the scoundrels, saw what was going on, and so they came and started banging on that guy's door. Send him out. Send him out. We want him. And the man said, no, I'm, don't, don't do this. Don't do this evil thing. And he said, send him out. We want him. And the Levite just... Uh, grabs his concubine, throws her outside, closes the door behind her, locks it. And the Bible says the men of that town knew her and abused her all night. And by the time they were done with her in the morning, she came and uh, fainted on the front porch of the house and, and died. And the Levite gets up in the morning and opens the door and says, Come on, let's go. Of course, she doesn't get up. Come on, let's go. She didn't get up. He picks her up, throws, him, throws her on the back of his donkey, goes the rest of the way home, takes her body, uh, mutilates it, cuts it up, and sends it out to the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, why do I tell you this story? Because the world is evil, and you need to know that. I've been asked to answer questions this month. In the month of August, I answer questions that that bubble up from um, the congregation, or in this case, uh, from my nieces who live in Nashville. And the question that they wanted answered was, how can a good and loving God create hell? And my answer is, in light of the evil that goes on in this world, how could a good and loving God not create hell? How could he not? Because God is loving, because God is perfectly just, you need to know that no one will go unpunished. No evil person will go unpunished. No sin will go unpunished. You need to know that that, that, that feeling you had in your heart that made you just cry out for justice for this little girl, this girl we don't even know, that comes to you. The reason why you have that desire, the reason why you felt that, is because you were created in the image of God, and you've been renewed in the image of God, and you know that there has to be justice. That is wrong. That kind of thing is wrong, and it needs to be made right. And so what, we're gonna, what I want you to see today is that because God is so loving and just, he created hell to punish the wicked. He created hell to punish the wicked. Please stand as we read God's word. This is the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40, 46. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or, or thirsty and give you drink? And, and when do we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. As far as the reading of God's Word, all men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's Word. God's Word stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Because God is loving, because He is perfectly just, He created hell so that no evil act would go unpunished. Uh, first of all, let's, let's talk a little bit about false ideas. I need to get those out of the way first. Some, some people, when we talk about hell or talk about punishment, you kind of get this idea that God is this uh, sadist who's built a torture chamber and who just can't wait to get people in that torture chamber and torture them forever and ever. And the thing that makes him the happiest of all is when like a four-year-old dies and, and he gets to just torture her for millions of years. And, and that's just insane and it's not true. Um, God is just. He is the definition of justice. And it is impossible for him to do anything that's unjust. It's impossible for him to tell a lie. And so there's no, none of us are going to look and say, oh gosh, he was too harsh on that one. He, he's going to render to each one according to his works, Romans says. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. He, he created hell to balance the scales. 
And you need to know that. I want this to actually be a deep comfort to you because we see things all the time, right? We see just awful injustice and evil all the time. And, and it's hard for us. And we read stories about people who are just abused to death, especially during you know, the civil rights era and different eras of our, our history and even today. And it, we cry out for justice. And I want you to know justice is coming. Justice will roll down. It is coming. And no evil person will go unpunished. You need to know that. I don't think you can make peace with living on this planet if you do not believe that. No one who is evil will go unpunished. That's not because God enjoys suffering, but it's because they're his children. They're his children. What does that mean? I don't know if y'all followed the story of Hunter Moore. Hunter Moore... uh, created a website dedicated to revenge porn. And so what he would do is he would invite guys whose girlfriends had broken up with him to send, them, uh, to send him pictures of, of the girls, nude, videos, nude. He then learned how to hack into people's computers and found private videos that were, uh, you know, of, of private things being, being recorded. And he posted them on, on the Internet. And he didn't just post them on the Internet. He posted their, how, their addresses, their Facebook accounts, so that, that his followers, and there were millions, his followers could hound these women. He said his goal in life was to ruin people's lives. It was this revenge act. And he messed up when one of the girls that he did this to, her mother found out about it. And she he took him to court, and she pursued him and pursued him until he was arrested. And he got two whole years in prison. But you, there's, there's another parent that he needs to be very aware of. You, you need to know this. Every sin that is committed against a human is committed against God's daughters and God's sons in front of his face. And he's not going to let that go. He is going to punish that with a father's just fury. They will not go unpunished. Because they're your, you're his children. How can you love a child and just watch her get abused? You don't. And neither will he. He doesn't enjoy suffering. Actually, he says to us, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but I wish that the wicked would turn back and and live and, and turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, he says. And and that's important for us. We we think that that again, we, we don't like to think of torture, we don't like to think of the God of hell because uh, you know it just makes him out to be ugly. I when I was a, a little kid, I had some neighbors. And they were, they, were, they were very naughty boys. And for fun, on the 4th of July, around that 4th of July, when you could buy firecrackers, they, would, they closed up, their dog lived up under the house, which is where people in Dresden kept our dogs. And uh, so they closed off the hole so they could, the dog couldn't get up under the house, and they just threw firecrackers at it all day long, just torturing it. And then when I refused to join in, they started throwing firecrackers at me. But I could jump the fence and go home. And we tend to think of, of God being that way, right? He's just, you know, he enjoys that stuff. And, and, and we think that because of a lot of reasons. One is just bad evangelism. 
I think it's well-intentioned, but bad, you know. Jonathan Edwards writing uh, his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where he depicts God holding us like a spider, holding us by a web with the, with the scissors right there ready to cut it. And, you know, he was a, a brilliant man and a, a good theologian, but, he, but that sermon is wrong-headed. And it, it, it tries to, to frighten people. It did frighten people, and a lot of people were converted by it. But, but it's, it's, it's just a not, not the depiction of God that the Bible shows. Um, in another case, there's a, a guy named Randy White. Anybody, Reggie White. Anybody old enough to remember Reggie White? Football player, defensive end for the Eagles and then the Packers. He, uh, he went to the University of Tennessee. I forgive him for that. And uh, his first practice was in the middle of uh, July. And uh, when the coach blew the whistle and said practice was over, he said, Coach, ain't we going to pray? And Johnny Majors, who had no interest in praying, just mumbled, And Reggie White said, All right, everybody, take a knee. Because he was the biggest one on the field, everybody took a knee. And he said, God, I thank you that it's so hot out here. It just reminds me of how bad hell's going to be and how glad I am that I'm not going. And uh, four people, according to eyewitness, four people were converted that day. Uh, you know, it works. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but it does also pun- it paints a, a bad picture of people in, in, God's mind, in people's minds. It paints a bad picture of God in people's minds, and, and it causes us to think that God kind of enjoys it, and that's not true. And then we, we go so far, uh, and on the opposite side, we tend to, we want to think, well, that's not true at all. God doesn't even have anything to do with hell, and that's not true either. The Bible's very clear that the wicked will be punished. So let's just talk a little bit about what it is. If it's not a, a torture chamber, what is it? Uh, the New Testament uses three metaphors. They're metaphors. They're not literal. They can't be literal. There are three metaphors for what hell is. One is, the first one is fire. In other words, it's a place where the body is destroyed. Jesus, I'm quoting Jesus a lot today. Uh, Jesus says, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Uh, fire is a depiction of how God will punish the body for the sins that were committed with the body. And he's going to consume it, and, and it will be destroyed. When the things you do with your body uh, will, be, will be punished perfectly and appropriately with your body. Uh, the second depiction is darkness. And the reason why we know these are metaphors is because you can't have fire and darkness. Uh, dark fire doesn't exist. But it's darkness. Uh, a place of hopelessness. Of despair. Uh, again, Jesus says, uh, he'll say, cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the weeping and gnashing of teeth, that's an important uh, addition there. It shows us what it's like. Uh, the gnashing of teeth, that's, that's what you do when you're mad. You don't do that when you're repentant. You don't do that when you're, nobody's asking, oh, please, let me in, I'm sorry. You're just mad, and they gnash their teeth, and they can't believe he would do this to them. And they, they, they bang on the, the, the gates, and they're, they're just, ah, like the, that's what my dog does to me. She chops. Uh, they just, they gnash their teeth at him. Jesus gives us a picture of this in this uh, parable, he writes, of the rich man and Lazarus. And, and Lazarus goes, dies and goes to the bosom of Abraham. And the rich man is cast into the fires of Hades. And he looks up. And even from that position, he still thinks he can, can order the, uh, Lazarus around. 
Lazarus was poor, and he slept all day and night on the, the steps of the rich man. And he, and he says to him, hey, send Lazarus down here to be my servant. Have him dip his finger in water and, and cool down my tongue. He's not repentant. He doesn't ask for grace. He doesn't ask for mercy. He doesn't confess his sin. He just gives orders. He's just mad. And God withdraws his grace from you. That's what you see. You know, when you see someone who's really wrecked their life with their sin and they're unrepentant, you see that just self-pity. Nobody gave me a chance. Nobody was fair to me. They would have done what I did too. That's not repentance. It's anger. And when, when people refuse God's acts, uh, offers of mercy, they just go off into that anger. And they continue there. Hell is a place of fire and destruction. It's a place of darkness without repentance. And, and finally, it's, it's, this is probably the best description we have of hell. It's outside. It's just outside. It is... Uh, Inside is, is where God is. Inside is where Jesus is. Inside is where God's people are. And, and in the ultimate dis- depiction of heaven in Revelation 21 and 22, it says that God is so present there that there doesn't need to be a sun, there doesn't need to be lamps, because his smile is so bright that it's going to lighten up the whole place. And, and everything you need is going to be there because, because, it's, because heaven is God-dominated. And then it says, but outside are the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolatries, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. They're, they're outside. They're away from him, which is where they want to be. I mean, the first time I was able to make peace with this idea of hell is when I realized that in a very true way, what hell is, is, is God giving people their wish. If you've lived your whole life wanting to be away from God, wanting to turn your back on Him, wanting to get as far away from Him as you can, at the end he says, okay. That's, what, uh, that's how Romans 2 actually describes God's judgment. He says, God gave them over to the desires of their heart. If the desire of your heart is to be away from Him, He'll let you go. When Jesus healed the demoniac of the Gazarenes. The, the people were so scared, they begged him to leave. So he got in the boat and left. He, he gives people the desires of their hearts, and they, they move away from him forever. It's like uh, last week I told you about my dog, uh, Gladys, the worst dog in the world, right, that one, and how dumb she is and how when I walk her, I hold the leash. She drains at the leash. She wants to just run out in the street. She just can't wait to chase those cars and get out in the street. And I'm, I mean, she's five pounds, right? so I'm just kind of holding it. And she's straining with every bit of muscle. And because, because my kids would be really mad if I did, I don't let go of the leash, right? I don't let the, the cars run over her, no matter how much I want to. But what God's final judgment is, is him letting go of the leash, I've been restraining you your whole life. I've I've given you laws. I've given you rules. I've given you society. I've given you my church. I've given you my son. None of that was good enough for you. You still want to get away from me? Okay. 
and you go outside. Outside where everyone who loves and practices falsehood. That's what hell is. It's a place of judgment in the body, in the soul of darkness, and ultimately in the soul of, of wanting to be away. So who is it? Who is it that wants to be away? Who is it that hell is built for? First of all, and you need to understand this, hell is built for the self-righteous. When Jesus talks about it, and he talks about it more than we want to admit, when Jesus talks about hell, it's always in the context of people within the church. Because religion, if you don't know this, is a very uh, useful tool to beat people up with and to manipulate people with. And he talks about them. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. He says, Many will say to me, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? That's preachers. Do we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's it's people within God's covenant community who want to use God and want to use uh, their position to manipulate and and to exploit. And you need to know they will not be unpunished. They will not go unpunished. The the self-righteous will will be outside. Uh, The wicked will be outside. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It's those who practice, who practice falsehood. I love this, the way that passage starts out with cowards and ends with liars, because cowards always end up being liars. You, you lie because you're afraid to tell the truth. You lie because you don't want anybody to see you. And... And for those who just can't, have no moral courage, they don't have the moral integrity to stand up for what is right and what is true. That, that shows there's nothing of God in them. The Holy Spirit hasn't made them new. They're not, they're not new creations. And they, they don't want anything to do with God. And it's, again, God is truth. Jesus is the truth. And so if you're a liar, you want to be as far away from the truth as possible. And so Jesus in his judgment says, okay, I'll let you go. That's who hell is built for. Uh, The self-righteous, those who would, uh, what does Jesus say in 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 our, our text for this morning? He says it's for those who see the poor, who see the needy, see those who are being exploited, see those who are being mistreated and abused, and ignore them. Those are the ones, it doesn't matter. You know, they're going <laughs> to they're gonna come to God and go, what? but I was good, I loved you, I read your Bible. I'm going to say, no. As you, did it, as you did not do it for the least of, of these, you didn't do it for me. And they're going to be shocked. And they're going to say things like, well, that wasn't my ministry. I didn't have a gift of mercy to the poor. I had the gift of teaching. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. Did you? Apostle John is very clear. If someone sees a brother in need and closes off his heart to him, that person 
does not love the Lord. You cannot say you love God who you've never seen and hate the poor, hate the, the lowly who you see every day. You just can't. So don't lie to yourself. And I, I, I mean, I get it. You know, helping the poor is hard. And it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to figure out what the best way to do it is. I, I understand all that and the difficulty of, you know, seeing the same panhandlers day in and day out. Like, I get that. That's tough. That's not an easy situation. But if you're a believer, you care. If you're a believer, it breaks your heart. You don't close yourself off. That's what Jesus means. All right. So why have I spent, uh, I don't know, 19 minutes talking about this? It wasn't very fun for me either, by the way. I, uh, I've been watching y'all squirm, and I've been squirming, and, you know, so why do you need to know this stuff? Um, I promise I won't be doing it again for years. Uh, not just because my niece has asked, but because of this. There's three reasons why you need to know this, and you need to believe this, and you need to reassert uh, a belief in hell. And the first reason is this, so you can forgive those who've hurt you. So you can forgive those who've hurt you. You know, uh, we always talk about how the Bible commands us to forgive our enemies. Um, and it's true. But we need to read the whole text, not just half of it. This is what Paul says in Romans uh, 12. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Here's a verse to put on your Facebook profile. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The only way you're going to be able to forgive from the heart is if you are absolutely convinced that no sin goes unpunished. That the person who hurt you, the person who exploited you, the person who abused you, the person who lied to you, the person who stole from you, they will be punished. Be sure of it. And if you believe that, then you can live without the, the anger and the bitterness and the hardness growing in your heart. Miroslav Volf is a theologian from Bosnia, and he saw this in its absolute worst manifestations. He would preach the gospel to, to men whose, whose sisters and mothers and wives and, and daughters had been kidnapped and, and known and abused to death. It was a very common thing in Bosnia during the awful neighbor-against-neighbor neighbor civil war that he lived through. And he said, the only way I can convince these people to lay down their swords is by convincing them that God has his in hand. You can lay down your sword if you believe God has his in hand. And sometimes it's funny, he'll come to America and get debated. And people will say things about, but what about the, the unconditional love of God? Can't we just all take that on and just forgive people? And he, this is true, you can look it up. He laughs. He says, that's a theology that can only be developed in an American suburb. You talk to people who've undergone real violence, and they know. And I've seen this in my own life. I, I want you to know that this is not me just kind of being theoretical. It's, it's true. I, uh, 
you know, my, my dad abandoned the family when I was young, and, and the struggle as I got called into the ministry to preach on forgiveness and, and how you have to forgive people from the heart, and it was difficult. It was very hard because I didn't forgive him, and I didn't want to forgive him, and, and I struggled with that, and God would give me different measures of grace, and, you know, I would deal with it less and less and, and keep confessing it and keep dealing with it. And then about five years ago, the funniest thing happened. My dad decided he wanted to get married. So we went down to the courthouse to get a marriage license, and the people behind the desk said, well, Mr. Jones, you can't get married. You're not divorced. My mom had never given him a divorce. Isn't that funny? And so he's all mad and starts, you know, complaining to my mom, you're trying to keep me from getting married. He's like, she goes, I don't care. You can have your divorce. Bring me the paper. I'll sign it. She, he, she signs it. He goes down to the courthouse, and the courthouse goes, well, it's not that easy, Mr. Jones. You see, back in 1983, you agreed to pay $500 a month in spousal support. And you haven't been paying it. And we can't give you this divorce until you pay up. And again, my mom's just like, you know, because he goes and complains, and mom's like, whatever, I don't want your money. Leave me alone. Just leave me alone. But the family attorney said, oh, no. That's not how it's going to work. He's going to pay every penny. And when the judge uh, declared against him and forced him to pay my mom $50,000, which is a boatload of cash in Dresden, Tennessee, that'll buy just about every house on my block, um, Something weird happened in my heart. I wasn't ready for this. It was really strange. I called my dad up like a week later. It was a, it was a Saturday before Easter. And I said something I've never said to him in his life. I said, I forgive you for everything you ever did. And I, I, I don't know how to explain it except for to know this. When he received justice, I could stop punishing him. It no longer was my job to punish him by withholding affection or by being mean or by being mad as if that was hurting him. And so I was able to forgive him. And, and that's, that's the true of you as well. If you will believe that justice is coming, then you can show love and grace to those who have hurt you, not, not for their sake, but for your own. You just don't want to become that bitter person. We need to know this for justice sake. We need to know this for holiness sake. And again, this is something you will never hear me say. You'll never use, hear me use the, the fear of hell to, be holy, to, to encourage you to be holy. That's just not my style. But it was Jesus's style. <laughs> Listen to what he said. He said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled with two hands and go, than, than with two hands go to hell to the un unquenchable fire. No, that's obviously, you know, I don't need to say this, but it doesn't mean he wants you to cut your hand off. What does he mean? He's saying no matter how much it hurts, no matter how uncomfortable it is, whatever it is that's causing you to sin, if it's a relationship, if it's a job, if it's where you live, whatever it is, cut it off. It's better than going to hell. That's, that's harsh, but it's true. You know, and what happens is we just start out making little compromises, and we don't really know where those compromises are going to end. Uh, I said this in first service behind their back, so I might as well say it to their face. Um, one day, years ago, about 15 years ago, Eric and Austin came to pick me up at the airport. And, uh, 
you know, we walked out. They parked. Uh, that back then, you didn't have to pay for the first hour of parking. And, and so they'd been there like an hour and one minute, you know. And we were walking out of the airport, and we walked by the, the parking arm, you know, where you could get a new t- parking ticket if you wanted to. And Eric goes, should I push it and get a new ticket? He was kidding. And, and I was kidding when I responded, well, that would save us five bucks, but that's not worth going to hell for. For a parking ticket? No, not for a parking ticket. But it's never just one thing, is it? It's never just one time. And once you begin to make peace with your sin, it grows and it grows and it grows to the point that you don't know, you don't remember where you started. You know, the greatest miniseries ever, Lonesome Dove, has this wonderful line when, when their buddy, their friend, is getting hung. And he, he's pleading for mercy. And, and Gus says to him, somewhere, somehow, you crossed the line, Jake. And Jake looks back and his, his final words, I never saw the line. I never saw it. Yeah, if, if, if need be, I would rather you obey out of love for Christ and have love for each other. But if nothing else, let the fear of hell remind you where sin actually leads. We, we need to know this so we can forgive each other. We need to know this because uh, to, to maintain our holiness and the importance of it. And ultimately, we need to know it to understand the depth of Jesus' love for us and what he went through. What did he go through on the cross? He went through the, the slow torture and, and death of his body. The hell of the fire of hell. His body was consumed. He was punished in the body for the sins that we commit in the body. And then from, we're told from noon to three o'clock, a great darkness came on the land. And he went through the darkness for us, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He experienced that for us. And, and he is, is experiencing the, the evil of non-repentance and self-pity and, and despair that we deserve. He experienced it for us. And then at the last hour, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experiences being thrown outside for us. Having God turn his back on him because we had turned our backs on God. He experienced it for us. And when you think about that, when you think about the lengths he went to to save us, then I have the same question for you that, that God has for us. Why will you die? Don't you want a God that loves you like this? Who would go through hell for you? Why will you die? Turn and live. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we confess and ask you to forgive us for the, just the wrong and evil thoughts we have of you. Forgive us for thinking that you would ever be unfair or harmful. And Father, forgive us for turning away from you, turning our backs on you. Forgive us for thinking small thoughts of Jesus who experienced you turning your back on him because we had turned our backs on you. Father, I pray for everyone here. I pray they would choose to live, to follow you and live. I pray they would receive your forgiveness. I pray they would let Jesus suffer for the, in their place. In Jesus' name, amen. Is the body 
uh, and the soul. Well, Jesus said that hell is a place where God destroys the body and the soul. Um, is that annihilation? I do not know, and I'm going to stop where the Bible stops. You, uh, you get into the bad teaching when you go beyond what the Bible teaches. Um, and so that's what Jesus says. Now, but, I, but what I know for, with absolute certainty, with absolute certainty, is that no one is going to suffer one teardrop more than their sins deserve. Now, what that means, I don't know. Because God didn't tell me. He says, you pay for the sins you've done in the flesh. And he is way more loving than I am. And way more gooder. He's way better than I am. Kinder than I am. More merciful than I am. And, and we, we're, we can trust him. You can trust him. He's not, uh, he's not a sadist. He doesn't enjoy torture. So you can trust him. No one will pay even the, the smallest bit more than, than they deserve. I promise you that. If a person is truly a child of God, can they, and they sin the same sin over and over, will they go to hell? No. If a person is truly a child of God, then your sin that you commit, and we all have, uh, you know, we all have indwelling sin, but you will eventually stop it. You will be growing beyond it. And uh, it may take a lot longer than you want. You know, When I was uh, 17... I thought waiting until I was 18 was a very long time, and now I'm 53, and I'm like, oh, I was just a kid. Um, and, and there's truth to that. I mean, that's a universal feeling, right? Uh, David, the king, prayed, God, forgive me for the sins of my youth. Remember not the sins of my youth. And, uh, and we all have those. So you, you be patient with yourself. Um, but God is at work in you, and he will, uh, he will root them all out eventually. So, um, but I don't want you to worry about your, your salvation. Um, okay, this is a hard one. Why would God allow little children to be abused and tortured and killed? Um, and this person says they're a visitor here, and I'm actually going to spend uh, the entirety of next week on this question, but I want to give you one sentence on it. Uh, I'm to give you two sentences on it. One is that as bad as those crimes hurt you, it hurts God more. I mean, he's, it's happening right in front of him. And he is suffering with them, and he's getting angry at the person doing it, and they will, be, they will pay for it. They will pay for it, every drop of it. Um, there's a parable that I'm going to preach on next week called the parable of the wheat and the tares. And it's, it's, he talks, uh, Jesus says that the creation is like a field, and God planted good wheat in it, and then Satan came and planted evil wheat, evil in it evil, you know, weeds, but it's a metaphor for evil. And his servant said, do you want us to go and just rip those weeds out? And he said, no, if you rip the weeds out, you're going to get some of the good wheat, some of the good plants. That's nice and tidy when you're talking about plants. But when you're talking about humans, what that mean is, it means is God was patient, and he allowed the evil people to live, and therefore, he allowed evil people to do evil until all the wheat was matured, gathered, brought into the barn, and then all the weeds will be thrown into the fire. Um, so what does that mean? It means I have a friend named Brian who was born because his mother, who was mentally broken, she had cerebral palsy, very broken, was abused. 
and he was a result of that abuse. And he was born straight into foster care. And um, after a life of foster care and reform schools, he ultimately ended up in prison. And in prison, he got converted. And he is a son of God. And he uh, is a beautiful, broken brother. And I, I just love him. And I've loved him for a long time. And he's going to be in heaven. And what the Bible tells me about Brian is that God knew him from before the foundation of the world. But the only way he was ever going to be born is through an awful act of abuse. The only way that, that piece of wheat was going to grow was if God let the, the tares grow up alongside it. And um, that's a hard pill to swallow. I think it's the, the biblical answer to your question. Uh, if that is not enough, feel free. To, you can write me at this address, and I will answer. I will keep trying to answer until uh, the Lord comforts you. Can you offer comfort to those who wrestle with your own brokenness? Yeah, just know that um, God's not going to let you go. If you feel like you're tugging at God's leash, he's not going to let you go. And the reason why it bothers you is because you're in him. And um, the more you're in him, this is a weird thing about growing in grace, growing in holiness, is the holier you get, the more your sin bothers you. Uh, my brother gave up smoking, and uh, he gave it up for years. And about 13 years after he gave up smoking, I asked him, I said, are you ever tempted to smoke? And he said, every second of every day. And he said, you know, when I wasn't tempted to smoke? And I said, when? He said, when I smoked. I'd get up at 3 in the morning and smoke. I never felt the urge to smoke. I just smoked. In the same way, when you're not in Christ, you don't feel the tempted to sin. You just sin. You just sin. And you don't even know you're sinning. But once you're in Christ and you're a new creation and you feel those old urges tugging at you, you begin to hate it. And the more... Christ-like you grow, the more you hate that sin. And so sometimes it feels like you've made no progress at all. When in truth, you've, you've become so much more like Jesus, you're barely recognizable. Um, so be comforted. If your sin bothers you, you're, you're, not, um, you're not gone. You're not too far gone. Where do babies and toddlers go when they die? Uh, the Westminster Confession says, elect children dying in infancy go to heaven. Uh, I love that because <laughs> it's like we don't know. But, um, again, God's not going to do anything wrong. You're not going to get to heaven and go, you did what? Um, he is kinder than you, and he is more gracious than you, and he is more merciful than you. So uh, those kind of questions that really trip up, People who want you to be tripped up and, you know, evil people in the spirit of the air want you to distrust God, will do anything they can to get you to distrust God. And so they begin to tell you things like, you know, aborted babies go to hell and that kind of thing. That's just ridiculous. Come on. It's ridiculous. So um, God is good and you can trust him. Um, the same is true for those, well, I'm not going to say that one. Uh, what, is, what, do, what about irresistible grace? Do people really choose their fate if God chooses to reveal himself to a person and it's irresistible? Well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, for those of you who, this is an intramural debate, but yes, nobody is judged and sent to hell because God didn't elect them. God is not giving people the Heisman. He's not pushing people in there like, I don't like you, go to hell. Um, he is opening up his arms, and he says, all day long I've held up my arms. Come to me. Why will you die? 
And yes, people, a lot of people actually resist that. What about irresistible grace? Well, that applies to those who didn't resist it. If you came to Jesus, it's because he was at work in your heart. Um, but if you didn't, it's because you were hard-hearted and didn't want anything to do with him. And that is the great mystery. Last one. If someone is a Christian just because they don't want to go to hell, will they still go to heaven? That's where it usually starts out. Um, it really does. I mean, it's pretty funny. Uh, well, not funny, but I don't know if you've ever heard of Pastor E.V. Hill. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. One of the greatest preachers of all time in America, at least. And uh, he said that, you know, that was his testimony. Uh, I, I believed in hell. He said the first step was I believed in hell and I didn't want to go there. Uh, so that's usually where it starts. And you're like, well, that's not altruistic. Nobody's altruistic. Nobody here is going to heaven because you've got such a good heart and you don't want anything but Jesus. But over time, if you're a believer, you're going to want more than just to avoid hell. You're going to want to be with Jesus, and you're going to learn how wonderful and dear he is, and you're going to learn that he is life, and he is light, and he is hope, and he is truth, and he is grace, and he is the only place to get it. And, uh, and that's what's going to happen because the Holy Spirit's going to be in your heart and he's going to be working in you. And so what starts out as a selfish desire of, I don't want to go to hell, turns into this beautiful, uh, I, I want to be with Jesus and that's all I want. So that's, that's the end of that story. Thank you for giving me questions I could answer. Please stand for the Lord's benediction.